Chapter 41 of Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by John Brandon. Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. Chapter 41 by Thomas Burns. Frauds exposed. Accomplished adventurers and fashionable adventuresses. People who live by their wits. Getting a living by hook or by crook. Odd and many are the ways of earning a living that are resorted to by numerous adventurers and adventuresses in the metropolis. For society in its varied and complex phases affords a profitable field for a large army of wily men and women who live by their wits. There are hundreds of ingenious money-making schemes, which, though by no means legitimate, cannot be dealt with as precisely criminal. And there is, therefore, a certain class, who, though not professional criminals, nevertheless, like them, obtain a living by preying upon their fellow-creatures. I recall the case of a lady, middle-aged but still pretty, who kept many boarding-houses one after another, all of them popular and well patronized while they lasted. She was a woman of education and refinement, of gentle disposition and confiding nature, and she easily inspired unbounded confidence in all who knew her. She always managed to interest some rich old bachelor or widower in her business affairs with the almost certain result of inducing him to pay a large sum of money in advance for board. Then suddenly her affairs would become involved, and with many tears and well-simulated expressions of sorrow and deep distress, she would reluctantly announce to her boarders that she was obliged to give up her house. She would then disappear, until she was satisfied that the confiding boarder, who had made the loan, had abandoned all hope of ever getting his money back, when she would reappear in a new street, occasionally under a new name, and the routine of borrowing from unsuspecting boarders and giving up the house would again be gone through with. She has been known to obtain an advance of $1,000 from a boarder, and not one of her numerous loans was ever repaid. Whenever she vacated a house, she was generally more or less in debt to all her patrons, whom she treated so kindly that they were often only too glad to relieve her temporary embarrassment by paying for board in advance, and were sincerely sorry when financial disaster at length overwhelmed her. As a rule, boarders generally victimized their landladies, but in this instance the rule was reversed. Another woman who lived in elegant style in a fashionable part of the city acquired a snug fortune by using her social influence in furthering questionable money-making schemes among capitalists. She had a large circle of acquaintance among moneyed men, possessed keen perception, an exceedingly glib tongue, an instinctive knowledge of human nature. These qualities she constantly turned to her own pecuniary account, 
she and her husband kept house in a sumptuously furnished brownstone front uptown where they received evening calls from numerous bankers brokers and others whom the accomplished wife elegantly and pleasantly entertained when necessary she talked coaxed or argued them into investing or lending their influence to any money-making scheme she had a pecuniary interest in she did a paying business for a long time she never undertook any but large and plausible schemes and generally succeeded in carrying them through not long ago she became interested in a mine and got most of the stock subscribed for through her own unaided exertions for which she received in advance a large roll of greenbacks as her reward it was characteristic of her never to depend upon commissions for her services she demanded so much money down and nothing else would answer and she generally got it in this way she supported her family in great luxury and clothed herself and her daughters in fashionable style she is still widely known by wall street and broad street magnates now and then in new york one comes across women who though they cannot be properly styled adventuresses yet have adopted petty and ingenious ways of adding to a slender income there is for instance a young lady in society who is locally famous for obtaining all her gloves and jewelry as gifts from her gentlemen escorts to parties and theatres gifts which she does not hesitate to hint for if they are not speedily volunteered there is another woman who resides in a handsomely furnished suite of rooms who invariably takes her meals out always managing so that at least two meals shall be taken at the invitation of some gentleman friend thus saving the fair dame at least ten dollars a week another woman contrives to fasten herself on some rich and fashionable lady as a companion living at the expense of her friend to whom she attaches herself as closely and with as much persistence as a barnacle to a ship one fair creature has made a practice for years to become engaged to some rich young man receiving from him meantime as many presents as he can be tempted to bestow finally she quarrels with her betrothed breaks the engagement and retains the presence a really clever woman who according to her own statement engineers beggars hires a number of poor homeless children and a number of old and decrepit men and women selecting with an artist's eye all the most wretched specimens of humanity she can procure the halt the maimed the lame and the blind the dirty the ragged the sick and the sore these wretches are stationed singly or in small squads around the hotels churches or places of amusement when there is a ball at the academy of music or a fashionable opera or select gathering of any kind she stations her wretched squad at convenient points and hiding herself in some convenient place grins with unfeigned satisfaction as her hatless and shoeless brigade whiningly receives alms her percentage of the receipts generally consists of by far the greater part of the money her beggars have extracted from the charitable of late years this woman's operations have been materially curtailed by the police dancing attendance upon dowagers who are rich seems to be growing in favor among the would-be fashionable 
but impercunious youths of the city. Among the most curious cases of gaining a livelihood without working for it is that of a certain young man, who, young, rather handsome, and of good family, devotes himself almost exclusively to playing the cavalier to old and very rich widows. There are men about town who have the entree to fashionable society, who are really card-sharpers and gamblers, who live upon the money they make by cheating at cards at their clubs or elsewhere. They are society men, too, who live in luxury, dress well, and spend money lavishly, who depend upon their skill in manipulating cards for means to keep their appearances and meet their liberal expenditures. They do not hesitate to cheat, and if detected, the matter is hushed up for their family's sake. But in the majority of instances, their social position saves them even from suspicion, and defrauded victims pay their losses without suspecting the author of their misfortunes. Levying literary blackmail is often practiced upon a certain class of wealthy and vain people. Proof sheets of glowing biographies of well-known men and women are sent to the selected victim. A polite and carefully written personal note accompanies the proof sheets, informing the party that the proofs are specimens of the contents of a forthcoming book of great national importance, which the publishers are preparing to issue, in which they design to insert the biography of all the distinguished persons of the times. A request is then made for a biographical sketch of the person addressed, to be written in a similar style and sent to the publishers. Sometimes the proof sheets of what purports to be one's own biography are sent, with a request to correct the unavoidable mistakes. Not a word is said about money matters. The distinguished party generally feels flattered, falls into the trap, and either writes his biography as desired, or corrects and returns the proof. In due time, a revised proof of the article is sent to the subject, and with it a bill for two hundred, three hundred, or five hundred dollars, as the case may be. The victim's eyes are now opened, but it is too late. He has committed himself to complying with the original request, or by correcting and returning the proof sheets, and rather than publicly reveal his own weakness and folly, he pays the bill or compromises the affair with the swindler. Thus the rascal contrives to make a good living, though the book itself has never been published and never will be, for the reason that all the illustrious men have not yet contributed their biographies. Matrimonial advertising is another successful enterprise that thrives on the credulity of others. Rich widows who advertise for husbands and wealthy gentlemen who are pining for wives are daily advertisers in the metropolitan newspapers. Some of these matrimonial advertisements are inserted as a joke. A very few of them are undoubtedly sincere, but the greater number are inserted for improper purposes. At one time there was a matrimonial bureau that did a thriving business, and its victims were numbered by hundreds. On the other hand, divorced detectives, male and female, are numerous, and their number and pecuniary prosperity afford a suggestive commentary on the ills and mistakes of modern married life. Many of these bogus detectives do all they can to upset marriages, 
already made, doing so in the interest of one or the other, and sometimes of both, of the unhappy wedded pair. Divorced detectives of this order will sneak, spy, lie, and swear to a lie, and will not hesitate to put temptation in the way of those against whom they are employed. They will not scruple to do anything to procure evidence for their employers that will be considered sufficient grounds for divorce. There are about thirty men and some fifty women in New York who are thus almost constantly engaged in working up divorce cases, procuring or manufacturing evidence, and so forth. Some of them have grown rich. Not more than five or six of them can be relied upon as thoroughly honest. On several occasions, some have taken pay from both sides in a divorce suit by pretending to watch a husband in the interest of a wife and to spy upon a wife in the interest of a husband and have thus lied to and cheated both. Professional divorce detectives are about the meanest and most unscrupulous of all people who live by their wits, and they are at the same time among the sharpest. There are hundreds of petty swindlers who get their living by hook or by crook in many ingenious and curious ways. Not the least numerous and successful are the bogus agents for charitable societies and meek long-faced professional philanthropists who are supported with their families by the carelessness and credulity of the charitable public. Then there are shyster lawyers who solicit their own clients and roundly fleece them when once they are in their clutches. There are numerous parties who compound elixirs and costly cosmetics that make all who use them beautiful forever. Men who make money by issuing bogus diplomas for doctors and charlatans who practice medicine under them, and no end of quacks who cure all diseases by a magic touch. The vanity of the newly rich or other people is catered to by enterprising gentlemen who prepare coats of arms and heraldic insignia for the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker to order. The list of petty swindlers might be lengthened indefinitely. It might properly include false pretenders who hire wedding presents in order to make a grand display at a marriage feast, and those who borrow diamonds and plate for fashionable dinners. There are street boys and men who haunt entrances to ballrooms, theaters, etc., for the sole purpose of picking up cigar stumps that are forthwith chemically treated and made over into fragrant Havanas, and thrifty hangers-on at the market stalls, who eagerly pick up the scraps and bones and sell them to poorer and less enterprising wretches who live upon them. There are a few curiously disposed persons who have a perchant for sitting up with sick people, or watching insane patients or drunken men for a consideration, which must invariably be paid in advance. Free lunchers are a well-known and numerous class, who know how to evade the eye, or to mollify the wrath of barkeepers, who seek to increase their trade by offering tempting free lunches to all who enter. There is a large and persistent army of floaters to be found at all hours of the day, haunting the reading and writing rooms of first-class hotels, in which they never spend a cent 
But those seats, fires, papers, stationery, etc., they use with the utmost freedom and without so much as saying thank you to the landlord. As for fortune tellers and clairvoyants, their number is large and is on the increase, but their ways have been so often and so thoroughly ventilated that none but very stupid persons can be caught by their transparent stratagems. End of chapter 41